0: Finally, the mainstream is talking about the great replacement and the changing demographics of European nations. Researchers and alt-media have pioneered the discussion, and there have been many Europeans warning about this coming for about 100 years, and they were very prophetic. But the great replacement, the great reset, the European Union, they all have a lesser-known man who began presenting a lot of these ideas of this new man and a new one-world utopian system. His name was Richard von Kudenhoff-Kalergi, and his book was called Practical Idealism. Joining me is Dimitra, the German-to-English translator of Practical Idealism. We're going to discuss the Kalergi plan. So welcome, and thanks for coming to discuss this huge and important topic.
1: Hi, Lena. I'm really very lucky to speak with you and because you're the Sherlock Holmes of woke anti-white propaganda and i'm happy to contribute to your show
0: awesome this is going to be so good you know it's great because things like the Great Replacement have been mainstreamed, and in part because of, of people like us and in our scene who have been talking about these ideas and pushing it. So the next thing we want is to mainstream the Kalergi Plan, right? That's we we want uh, Fox News to be talking about the Kalergi Plan one day. But we have so much to dig into. I've read the the full book. I've pulled out some chapters. We're going to get into some choice bits, and then so people can understand a little bit about uh, where his head was at before we talk about how his views have shaped policy today. But first, I want to know how you came to find practical idealism, and then you became inspired enough to do a translation.
1: Well, I dedicate this interview to my friend, National Elias Kassidiaris, an elected member of parliament and spokesman for the Greek Golden Dawn Party in Greece, who's currently a political prisoner, thanks to the Zionist regime there. Um, The Greek intelligence service set Ilya up in a false flag operation in order to imprison him. And they even spied on me because I communicated with him. Um, They tried to set me up in Greece by planting a Russian ID in my hotel room safe. But I caught them and I brought the evidence to the American embassy and then they stopped harassing me. Anyway, without Ilya, I don't think there would be an English translation of practical idealism today. And we met after he'd given a speech in the parliament, where he read from the book, the protocols of the elders of learned elders of Zion. And he also spoke about the Kalergi plan. And that's when certain events from my fifth grade history class came back to me. Um, I'd been an immigrant from Greece and Germany And I never expected a teacher to scold my classmates for being German. And this may sound incredible, but in Germany, you have Holocaust education in fifth grade, consisting of watching World War II documentaries with footage of um, Jews in concentration camps, footage of lamps, soaps, gas chambers, skeletons, and so on. We also read Anne Frank's diary and this Holocaust education was four hours a week for the entire school year um, after one the, uh, one such movie, the teacher said to the class i don 't want you to repeat um, i don 't want you to repeat our history, and that 's why we have to show you this." well, I wasn't German, but my friends were, and it really pained me for them when I heard this and I remember the teacher sarcastically saying to me you Greek, you didn't do anything. After we read Anne Frank's diary, we had to read uh, parts of practical idealism. That's crazy, crazy, yeah. <laughs> told us that no German could ever look as beautiful as a mixed race or be as intelligent. A mixed person is an ideal person.
0: Oh, wow, wow.
1: I wasn't able to challenge him intellectually, but- um,
0: No, you I were think- a child. You were a child. What can? What do you say? I mean, that's total brainwashing at that point, yeah.
1: I suppressed it for a long time, but then I bought an original German Praktische Idealismus and couldn't find an English translation anywhere. And so I knew right away that I had to do it. And it's my contribution to the struggle of our people. And animals, have no defense against extinction because they have no cognitive awareness. And that's why hundreds of species of animals have become extinct. And I think that the anti-white mob of today, they see us as defenseless animals who, who won't fight back. And I think they're very misguided and practical idealism can be a great defense weapon for us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You need to know what <laughs> is in their hearts and minds and their desires. I mean, he really spells it out for you in the book. It's really quite clear. I think it's very important for you to read your opposition's material so you know where they're where they're coming from, right? Now, is it true that practical idealism is considered, I didn't know this, but the hardest reading level on the what is it, the flesh Kincaid scale? Okay. So why why do you think that is? Was it purposefully done that way?
1: Pompous language, it's a sort of a weapon of avoidance or obfuscation, either to hide the truth or because he's not sure what he's talking about. So pompous words are always an expression of power. And after all, Kalungi writes for the elites and not for the common people. And the less people know and understand, the better for him. And all those in power who adopted his ideology if the ordinary citizens in the 20s would have understood the text, someone may have tried to kill him. After all, he says the white European is a dangerous, uh, violent barbarian. I think Kalergi obfuscates for personal security reasons and also to sound more credible than he probably is.
0: Absolutely. Now, if you search the rigged search results about the Kalergi plan, you'd think that he is a this peacemaking saint, and any criticism is called a racist, far-right conspiracy theory, but as we'll show today, it's not a theory, it's a fact, and... And all his racism is geared towards white people. It's all directed at Europeans. But first, Dimitra, before we dive into his beliefs that have infected politics today, let's get into just a summary of who Count uh, Kuttenhoff-Kalergi was.
1: Who was he? Kuttenhoff-Kalergi was the European Union's very strange founding father. Today, we would call him a wealthy swamp creature, and he was born in Japan in 1894 and died in 1972, exactly five years ago, 50 years ago. His parents were Austrian, an Austrian diplomat and a Japanese geisha. Um, Kalergi's father had been a famous anti-Semit, but later reconsidered and publicly condemned anti-Semitism. As a student, he married a famous Jewish actress and became a Freemason. And the masonic newspaper the beacon stated austrian freemasonry can rightly report that brother kudenhoff kalergi fights for his pan-european beliefs in this higher sense brother kutenhof kalergi's program is a masonic work of the highest order and to be able to work on it together is a lofty task for all the other mason's in 1925 kalergi published practical idealism in german in which he details this plan and the indigenous people of Europe must interbreed with Africans, Asians, and Middle Eastern immigrants who would be arriving in Europe in vast numbers. Um, He's a Marxist socialist who envisioned open borders, global socialism, and one religion, one army, and two races. One mixed Eurasian-African hybrid and the Jewish race that rules over them. I do not hate the Jews or any race. I love and respect all life, but I don't love and respect those who attack me or anyone else based on ethnicity.
0: Yeah, now written on, the gra- on his grave in the Swiss Alps, it says, pioneer of the United States of Europe. Uh, a couple other things about him. A park named after him in Vienna, there's a street named after him in Austria. There's a a, a prize that's given out in his name. Uh, It was last awarded to the president of Romania in 2022. I learned the movie Casablanca was inspired by him. By the way, I didn't know that. Uh, yes, as you said, he's Austrian, Greek, Dutch, Japanese, right? He's, so he's a blend. He's, he's mixed race. So we'll get into some of that later. Uh, uh, his father was a, a diplomat and his Japanese mother was actually the daughter of a rich oil merchant and an antique dealer. And they owned lots of land in Tokyo. Uh, although he married a Jewish actress, he married three different women. He didn't have any kids, thank Thank the gods for that. But despite, <laughs> despite all this, he's very well-connected. Politicians talk about him. Parks named after him. When we talk about his work and how it's relevant today, we get called, oh, this is a baseless conspiracy theory. Why does this guy even matter? But many leftists don't even know how influential and well-connected this guy was. He was a devious political activist. He was a, as you said, a, a mixed-race elitist, basically, who despised European nationalism and ethnicities. It's almost like, he had so much contempt for it that he wanted to uh, destroy us. And you had said something about his mom being the first Japanese uh, woman was in was a it Japanese in Austria? Citizen. Yeah,
1: a person to, to be a citizen in Austria.
0: So possibly he was uh, picked on or something, right?
1: Bullied so, well, in school.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so then it's like, okay, I want to destroy all your people or I want to make everyone like me and if they're not like me mixed with Asian and European, then I just want to destroy them all, right? That's
1: just, is I, I, I think psychology would, probably back this
0: up he was picked on because he was the first you know jack or his mother was the first japanese woman who was in austria at the time so technically he would be the first european asian mixed kid so of course he was going to get picked on because he's going to stand out he's going to be different it wouldn't be any different if uh he was going to japan right <laughs> i don't think so i think he would be picked on uh then as well but then it's no excuse to basically say uh All of everyone in this uh, in this whole, uh, all of Europe now needs to race mix and and race mix and become like me. And if not, basically, you need to be uh, genocided.
1: Right. Right. Right.
0: So there's a whole whole psychology there. And I think that that is going to explain the famous line in his book on page 23 which I will bring it up. Now, this is the line that I knew before I read the whole book and put the whole book in perspective. Um, He says, The man of the future will be a mixed breed. Today's races and castes will fall victim to the increased overcoming of space, time, and prejudice. The Eurasian Negroid race of the future, similar in its features to the ancient Egyptians, will replace the diversity of nations with a diversity of personalities. Now, what did you think the first time you heard this line in the book? As you said, it was all also mandatory reading in your German school at the time. I don't know if they made you guys read this quote, because it's pretty, pretty outrageous.
1: Well, there's another line. It's not the only line. Oh, yeah. The other quote is, in 10,000 years, history will be divided into pre and post technological ages. And the Europeans, who by that time will be long extinct.
0: That's right
1: will as fathers of the technological world change be praised as saviors (sighs) this is what he wrote i don't know what to tell you i still find it shocking and weird it's like
0: genocide porn in a way like he's just imagining he's just hoping that europeans will go extinct one day and maybe if i write about it enough and convince them you know why they need to blend out then i'll get my way but
1: i'm a supremacist for talking about what he wrote as if it's my fault the Kallergi was a racist. I mean, this is the this is not normal.
0: No, it's not. And I I find too one thing that we'll encounter in the book is it's highly schizophrenic and all over the place. And he contradicts himself. He says one thing and then there's another thing. It doesn't even line up. It's just like it's craziness in his head. <laughs> that's that's what I discovered clearly. Uh, and I think we should go through some of the main thoughts in the book before you tell us which policies and treaties, as you said, would not exist if had it have not been for the clergy plan. But he focuses on three main concepts in his book where everything else comes out of. And it is the struggle between capitalism versus communism, blood nobility versus mind nobility. And then I thought this was very interesting as a pagan, pagan versus Christian spirit. I had no idea he had written about this. But the book begins with his thoughts on rural people. He really had a lot of contempt for it. Now, can you summarize his points of these two different groups, like city, yes. city versus country people?
1: He was very biased against rural Europeans, just like the woke mob is today. Quote, um, the urban man thinks differently, judges differently, feels differently, acts differently than the rural man. Big city life is abstract, mechanical, rational. Rural life is concrete, organic, irrational. The urbanite is rational, skeptical, critical. The rural man is emotional, religious, superstitious. To me, the evidence suggests the opposite. Urban people seem much more emotional than uh, emotional, than rural. People seem much more um, rational, and... He also wrote, quote, usually the rural man is a product of inbreeding. The urban man is a mixed breed. The inbred man is always a one-soul person. The mixed breed is a multi-soul person. He uses the word inzucht in German, which means inbreeding. Um, Inzucht does not mean the same race or ethnically homogenous. No, the word means inbred. Um, actually, uh, Kalergi is full of these factual fallacies. This is called a fa- uh, this is called a fallacy of presumption because the premises presume too much and covertly assume the conclusion. He uses lots of erroneous reasoning that has the appearance of soundness um, in logical reasoning an argument. Contain contains of statements whose truth supposedly supports the conclusion of the argument. But an argument is only valid when the truth of the premises is guaranteed.
0: Yes, yeah, so basically inbreeding in his mind, if uh, European country folks stay within their own race or their own ethnicity, their own tribe, Basically, he puts them down, I think, in his mind. They're the equivalent of uh, you, you just screwed your sister or your brother, right? <laughs> Whereas us city folks, and he talks about that. Well, I'll read some of his quotes. Uh, we're, we have more dimension because we're, we're mixing with other people. And at that time, Europe was still very homogenous and white, right? But he had this vision of uh, mixing even outside of the race, right? So let me, there's some other things he said. Rural man is as conservative as nature itself, <laughs> which is a good thing. That means we're freaking grounded, right? Urban man is progressive as society. All progress is based on cities and city people. So he thought of himself as better, the superior aristocrat, this noble city man who was more evolved, right? Uh, rule represents the sword, the warrior in nature. He said, urban is of the mind, right? mind rule instead of sword rule. Elites always say this because they can hide behind their laws and their paperwork, right? They can't be like real men toiling in the fields and having to battle like a Viking, right? You know, or letting other men challenge them to a duel, right? They're basically cowards, right? Hiding behind this. And they had, he had a lot of contempt for rule folks. And it kind of makes me think of, Also, today, what's happening, all the films making fun of, you know, country folk. It reminds me of Agenda 2030, trying to force them into the cities because he spoke about rural people losing their pagan ways. He said that pagan ways after a generation of living in the city. So his thought was getting people out of the rural areas and into the cities. Then they were more likely to start uh, race mixing, as he said. Right. And, and I would say even back then race mixing, they would say different ethnicities probably in their mind was different races. Right. But then ultimately he wanted this uh, Asian Negro blend. So page fifty four. He puts down rural people, yet he dedicates his whole chapter to admitting that humans are domesticated, we're not wild anymore, we're unhappy and unfree because of this developed world, but then he blames culture. And at the same time, says that city folk are are people of the mind who are going to change the world. And he's a part of that. Right. So he also blamed migration to the cold north because of overpopulation. And he claimed that people had to become a slave to society and a nature to survive. Okay, so Kalergi was a spoiled brat. He never chopped a log in his life. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) right? So to him, uh, he's so out of touch of just nature and survival. He viewed survival as some kind of forced labor camp. Right. It's basically like more common. It's copy crap. And then he said, culture has destroyed the three forms of beauty that belong to the natural man, freedom, leisure and nature. And in their place came state, work and the city. Uh, No, it's it's these globalist ideas that have destroyed culture. I mean, this just gives you an idea of how out of touch with nature he is like so many elites today. You know, now most of them are just bent on world domination. They want to control nature through technology, which he, he even talks about. Um, also, the, he's out of the era of, uh, he says, out of this era of slave labor into a new era of freedom and leisure. I mean, this is a typical guy who, like, doesn't do anything. He just wants to sit around and drink cocktails in the men's club and doesn't want to have to do any work, right? We need to have uh, machines do all the work for us while we control uh, control nature, right? It's kind of like what's happening today. But let's get into page 20. It was a uh, section three, page 22, where he talks about living in the city and how race mixing is more likely uh, a good thing. I'll just read a couple of those because I know you have some stuff to add here. But the parents and grandparents of a farmer usually come from the same sparsely populated area. The nobleman comes from the same sparse upper class of the same sparsely populated area. In both cases, the ancestors are related to each other by blood and are therefore physically, psychologically, and mentally similar, which I think is a beautiful thing, right? As a result, they pass on their children and descendants with these common traits, tendencies of will, passions, prejudices, and inhibitions to be an even greater degree. The essential features resulting from such inbreeding, he says, are loyalty, piety, sense of family and caste, consistency, and then he says stubbornness, vigor, close mindedness and more prejudices, right? Less objectivity and a narrow horizon. Here is a generation that is not a variation of the previous, but simply a duplication, which is beautiful. That's what we want, right? Conservation in place of uh, evolution, he says, <clears throat> whereas... I mean, that this is a good thing. We want to pass down these these traits. And this he's calling these pagan, uh, you know, rural ways. Like, it, it's horrible and making these. The, the fact that they're similar and they think the same and same culture and traditions. This is ugly for him. And he says, one more here, in the big city, races and classes meet. As a rule, urbanites are misogynational, mixed race, and from various social and national groups. In them, the character traits, prejudices, inhibitions... Tendencies of will and worldviews of their parents and grandparents are eliminated at least weakened. The result is that mixed breeds often supplement their lack of character, lack of inhibitions, weakness of will, uh, impiety and disloyalty with objectivity, versatility, mental uh, restlessness, freedom from prejudices, and a broader horizon. Mixed, Mixed breeds are always different from their parents and grandparents. Each generation is a variation of the previous one, whether in terms of evolution or degeneration. So he says inbreeding strengthens the character, but weakens the mind now what evidence is there that uh that they're, we're weakening the mind by rural people having children that are like them
1: he has no proof for most of the things that he says but um i mean he hates everybody except for the jews he seems to hate everyone except jews
0: oh he, he writes
1: yeah. that jews are more christian than christians because the culture is older And Jews are more ethical and more moral than other races. The Jews are spiritual aristocrats and should be the leaders of humanity. And Jews are also inbred, he says, but because they emerge from international religious community rather than local race, (laughs) they have the most mixed blood. And that's another logical fallacy that undermines the validity of his argument about race mixing. The Jew are the Jews inbred or are they mixed? Which is it?
0: Yeah, and exactly.
1: And then he said that Jews have hyper, hyper, hypertrophy of the brain, which means they have a larger brain, and they are the thinkers in the world. And another factual fallacy, where he doesn't even attempt to prove anything. He never attempts to prove anything. He just says it, and we're supposed to believe it because he says it. Yeah, I was
0: surprised. I don't know if you want to add more here, but there's many, many pages dedicated to praising Jews. Like, he literally praised them as as being the master race. I mean, you can just go... You know, find in the book, just type in Jews, and you will see how many times it comes up and how many times that he is praising them as uh, page 45, even Judaism and the future nobility, uh, the main bearers of uh, what what does he say? Uh, Main bearers of corrupt as well as uncorrupt nobility of mind, capitalism, journalism, literature are the Jews. They are predestined through their intellectual superiority. To be a main influence on future uh, aristocrats. Exactly. And he says they are the one people that is fit to rule, to be the new uh, blood nobility, the aristocrats of Europe, and that basically Europeans are stupid and they need to
1: listen to what the Jews say. Everybody else is stupid, but um, that is because he was a Freemason. So that is. And I think that. As a Freemason, this is some kind of important work. They take their work very serious. They're also, I don't know a lot about Freemasonry, but it seems like it's a kind of a secret thing. They taught him how to keep this secret. Like you said, it's very hard to read. They probably told him to make it that way. So when you something is hard to read, the elites think it's a good thing and they'll adopt it. Anything is, so if you give me a page that has just like... Um, script that I can't even read. And that must be a good thing. If I don't understand it, it must be a good thing. It must be right. And we just push it forward and we just sell it by, you know, meeting with politicians and doing deals with politicians.
0: Yeah, and it's just and if you don't understand it, it's just because you're dumb. And he's just super duper smart, and you need to listen to him. Yeah, I, I think it's to. interesting. He says that the the Jews have an advantage because of years of persecution. He says that the the weak perish, and what was re- resulted was a strengthening of the group, right? And they also have this will to avenge, right? Uh, it's kind of like what's happening to us right now. It's almost like a natural selection, right? <laughs> That's happening. And he said uh, Judaism is the new nobility, but it is the womb from which a new intellectual nobility arises, the core around which a new intellectual nobility is grouped, uh, a new master race in the making, he says.
1: Well, it, it does say that in their in their official um, books um, from the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. I did read it. They do say it themselves. But, you know, we can't talk about it. This is anti-Semitism. Yes, they can write about it, so they can say it. But if I say it, and so this is crazy. This is absolute crazy. And the more people know how crazy ev- everybody is, telling them how to be and act, the the the, the better, the faster we make everybody wake up. Yeah. yeah the better this
0: is just yeah i mean the talmud talks about their supremacy right like they are they are the supremacists and if you go against if you challenge any of this like hey wait a minute i thought it was we're not supposed to talk about the master race right like uh, you you know nazis are bad for talking about a master race or whatever uh they'll say oh you're just jealous or you're narrow narrow narrow-minded in fact Kalergi said that he said the roots of anti-semitism are to be found in narrow-mindedness and envy So you can't even look at what they're saying and say, hold on, wait a minute here. What are these words? What are you doing? What are these policies? Page 28. Clergy, this is more on on how Jewish leaders will free humanity. (laughs) Ask the uh, Palestinians about that. What separates the Jews from the average urban citizen is mainly that they are inbred people. Again, these contradictions, like you said, what are they? Are they uh, race mixed or are they inbred? Strength of character combined with sharp intellect predestines the most excellent specimen of the Jews to become leaders of humanity, either false or real spiritual aristocrats and protagonists of capitalism or revolution. And I do think it's interesting that they were – Marrying into some of the uh, European aristocracy, nobility, trying to get in with some of the royals. But he constantly talked about aristocrats, right, and this crisis of nobility. So what is this crisis that he was talking about?
1: Um, This is the political chaos after the fall of the European monarchies, starting with the French Revolution in um, 1792. And anti-royalism was a movement that Kalergi explains as the result of the inequality between nobility and the common people, the unequal distribution of power and privilege. And monarchies were being abolished in many European countries and replaced with republican democracies after extreme civil unrest. And many aristocrats were even tried for treason and executed or relegated to ceremonial duties. Um, And Kalergi wrote that, the blood nobility had a low IQ as a result of that inbreeding, and that the true nobility is the nobility of the mind, which is the Jews because of their large brains. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah,
0: it is. These, it is kind words,
1: of These are his words. These are not my words. But um, but the the no, regarding the crisis, the crisis, he says, um, quote. Democracy is based on, optim- on the optimistic premise that nobility of mind could be recognized and elected by popular majority. And but now we are at the threshold of the third epoch of the modern age, socialism. It relies on the nobility of revolutionary authors. So that's himself. In effect, he calls for a coup d'etat here. Klergyi was not content living in a democracy even after the monarchies in Europe had fallen because in the next line he says that the crisis of nobility will only end when the intellectual nobility seizes all the resources, ammunition, gold, ink, and distributes them equally to everyone. He says seizes all the power resources. So he practically calls for another civil war like the Bolshevik Revolution. Um, he also wrote, quote, a, a decisive step is the Russian Bolshevism, where a small group of communist intellectual noble rulers governs a nation and breaks with the democracy that rules the rest of the world today.
0: Isn't that interesting? There's- yep. Yep. Oh, Yeah. Okay. And we're going to get into more on on his politics. I want to ask you that. But as far as the aristocrats, yeah, he said that the ruling of elites, uh, ruling elites of Europe were failing because of this inbreeding and that race mixing would have been good to give them more perspective and this open mind. It's better for their character because if you don't race mix, it's going to degenerate the mind. Now, there's no evidence for this. Whatsoever. No
1: evidence. No <laughs> In evidence. In fact,
0: it's the opposite, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Just look at him. I mean, he's race mix and yeah. clearly he's like <laughs> gone insane here, right? Oh, also, dear. page 51, he talked about uh, this aristocrat of the future. Sounds familiar. Kind of like uh, this mixed, rootless man of the future of the globe, right? Uh, globo homo. We hear this all the time. We need to race, mix for peace. And if there was just no race, if we were all one blended race, everything would be would be perfect, right? He says the aristocrat of the future will be neither feudal nor Jewish, neither bourgeois nor proletarian. He will be synthetic, the races and classes of today will disappear. The personalities will remain. Only, But this is interesting. He said, only through mixing with the best blood. Well, how do you control that? The viable traits of former feudal nobility will rise to new heights. Only through breeding with the top non-Jewish Europeans will the Jewish element of the future nobility reach its full potential. To the chosen people of the future, a physically well-bred rural nobility may gift perfect bodies and gestures, and a highly educated urban nobility will add mental prowess, soulful eyes, and hands. So he didn't he didn't see it as everyone mixing, but just certain people mixing for this new nobility. I just thought that was interesting because...
1: thats that can't be anything but some yeah I mean, yeah but it the, would be conspiracy theory if i said now all the freemasons sit around and all the jews sit around and come up with that's that's would be a conspiracy theory right yeah. because i haven't researched it but i mean
0: but, I can it, but we hear this thought today yeah. they talk about this today but it's like an experiment gone out of control They're, oh that sounds like a good idea let's do it but now it's not like oh, we're just going to have the best blood race mix for this new aristocracy, right? Uh, (laughs) Where the Jews are like ruling, right? Uh, On page 48, he talked about creating the ideal mixed race. So it wasn't just any mixed race combo. But then again, who's going to make this selection? Who's going to encourage it, right? he He talked about The purest idealism is to follow this rule. The more mixed a nation is, the less the citizens are alike and the less possible it is to construct a single race type. He he claimed that basically breeding with your ethnicity and your race creates a mentally ill people and an ill nation. I mean, this is this is outrageous kind of stuff. Character, character of will comes from the blood, he said. Uh, knowledge and opinions are changed through race mixing because it's easier to change people. And that is the key there because we talk about that all the time. They're pushing race mixing. It's it's very contrived, right, in, in general, like elites today who are pushing it. It's not because, oh, this black uh, man and this white woman fall in love. Like sometimes that's going to happen. People are going to go off. No, now it's more like policy they're pushing. It's propaganda they're pushing. They're Aiming it more so at European people. This is is better if you race mix because it's going to be a better future world. We're going to end racism. We're going to end white supremacy. Like, it sounds exactly like ideas in his book, doesn't it?
1: And they uh, accuse the Nazis of doing this.
0: Uh, So it's a
1: bad thing when the Nazis do it.
0: Yeah, of course. But they weren't uh, trying to take over the world. I mean, this guy was like, ultimately, like, oh, let's start with Europe and then let's go take it to the world, right?
1: And this was before, before the Nazis, by the way. That's right. The program that is supposed to be a Hitler program. I don't know if that's true or if they just reversed it and said, oh, Hitler did that. I it's don't know not why. a
0: Hitler program. In fact, uh, they were, I found, where was this in the, let me pull it up here, the Holocaust Encyclopedia They said, in 1933, Nazi students uh, at more than 30 German universities pillaged libraries in search of books they considered to be un-German. Well, yeah. Among the literary and political writings they threw into the fires were the works of Kalergi, right? So a part of the book burnings, uh, his books were going in the fire. And I I totally understand
1: why. (laughs) Hitler tried to kill him. He escaped Hitler. That's why he ended up in the U.S. Oh, interesting. He had a price on his head.
0: Interesting. I, I hadn't heard that. And you had said something about, I think it was Rockefellers. Didn't Rockefellers actually
1: Paul help? Rockefeller took him to New York, to NYU. Uh, Rockefeller was his friend, Warburg, Paul Warburg. Mm-hmm. Max. The three Warburgs, the, fed, the German bankers from Hamburg, they have to do with the Federal Reserve, of course. Yeah. And they gave him 6,000 gold marks, which is maybe. 6 million now. Something
0: crazy. Oh, that's an important number. And, of course, it was also uh, the same people that funded the Bolshevik Revolution, right? The mass murder of...
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Totally. And uh, how many rural people died during that, too? And, and, like, true aristocrats and elites in Russia, right? Millions. Millions. Millions? Yeah, millions. My family was part of that as well. You know, got driven out because of the Bolsheviks. So it's outrageous what they did there.
1: That is, I saw the movie Europa, the last battle. Mm-hmm. That is the best movie I've ever seen, and I've I watch it like almost every
0: day. Oh yeah, it's powerful. It's powerful stuff, you know. When you put all this into perspective, I just want to get into before we move on. I found it especially interesting. He brought up the concept of this uh, opposing forces of paganism versus Christianity. Uh, he says the word pagan forty two times in his book. I counted it, so it's up there with Jews. Like loving Jews hating pagans page 24 he has something about heathen and Christian mentality he says there's two types of souls that compete for world domination paganism and Christianity. Now, I don't know if you have any input on this, but I'll just share some of my notes. He preferred um, the Christian energy, and he despised Germanic paganism. He hated Germans altogether. He was just crapping on them all over the place. But he says, (laughs) Christianity is little more than a reinterpretation of paganism with altered mythology and new superstition for the rural barbarians of Europe, a religion based on nature. Now, I think that's really interesting that he admits that parts of it are borrowed, as at least, right? Because I'm, I'm even telling Christians this, right? Even this guy knows this. But interesting that he also said that it was the European pagan heathen. He said, Nordic, Nordic Promethean spirit, that drove Europe into discovery and invention and domination, right? So this is why he hates that uh, Nordic, heathen, pagan, uh, Promethean spirit and later calls for us to be pacifists. But what's really interesting is he didn't like pagans but preferred the Christian path, and there's a reason, because he said, race mixing and internationalism is the development of a Christian mentality, but the resistance to Christianity, Jewish Christianity, he says, emanated from the rural populations, from the pagans kind of just as today the rural population is the strongest resistance to the realization of a socialist way of living he said he said that rural people are a pagan force paganism is only possible in sparse areas he thought another reason to to pull them into the cities right he said paganism represents you know breeding within your own tribe basically he called it inbreeding nature strength energy he even said the hero bravery drive honor freedom striving for greatness the superhuman like these are bad things right and christianity represents to him he said the loving saint gentleness humility compassion uh self-denial turning the other cheek so you could see which ideology he would prefer not that he truly was a christian but he liked that it calls for people to be more passive right
1: well there is a book it's somewhere on my drive, I, I can't even remember the name, but I did read it, I don't know if you came across it, written by a Jewish author, where he said exactly, it might've been older than Kalergi, where he said exactly that Christianity was invented in order to take down the Europeans. Yeah. And I will find it for you. I have to search amongst like millions of files, but I will find it. About
0: for you. a subjugation. Yeah, about sub- subjugation yeah. and conquest and uh, and control. I grew up Christian, you know, and then I realized some of these things later on and just, wow, I opened up, my, <laughs> it opened up my eyes to a lot of different things there. Even how they supplanted, you know, some of the old pagan temples and burned them down and built the Christian churches, like hijacking that energy and even some of our, you know, like christmas and easter <laughs> like all, midsummer yeah. like taking that energy because they knew that would be the only way to be able to try and convince people isn't, right, it, isn't
1: it if you make an institution it's, doesn't it take the power away in the first place because yeah. everybody has to submit and everybody gives the power to the organizer the instead of having a, the power you know with god yeah absolutely power to the institution isn't that uh, absolutely Right.
0: absolutely yep and i i hate by the way when christians say that um basically anything bad that these elites are doing is paganism i i hear that all the time but as we're learning and as we'll get into with him too a lot of these early founders they were christian socialists which i didn't learn till you know henrik opened my eyes to that stuff later when i was living in sweden i was like wow there's a lot of christian socialists turns out there's a whole history of that well.
1: <laughs> I, I grew up Christian, but I was also raised on Homer. So I was big on mythology, that's paganism as well.
0: Oh yeah, of course, so, the greco roman tradition. I mean, it's uh, absolutely- I
1: mean, There's a lot of power, but you don't, you know, the institution to make an institution like that. I mean, it could be that it was invented to to, put, to take the paganism spirit down and then they fought it. They fought every pagan witchcraft, they fought everything. I mean, there's no reason if you truly have power and you're the you're right. You don't have to fight anybody. No. I, I just don't get that. Yeah. That's, That's right. Truth. Truth. Put it there.
0: truth is truth. And you don't have to, you know, kill a bunch of people to defend it. Right. Yeah. So he uh, he hated. Kalergi hated Germans because he said Germanic people are they're closer in time to this more natural kind of primitive man to the pagans. In other words, a natural, healthy state, not wanting to race mix for this new world order. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, so he ruled right, them as right, they were right, in the right. way. You know, which right. kind of puts World War II a different spin on World War II because he's talking about all these things before World War II. But he
1: said He right. did really. I believe. I'm almost sure that. He really looked down on them. It, that part is not fabricated. I really do think he looked down on them because of the way he was raised to be. He's superior. He's, you know, he's better. He was raised. He believed that. That's probably not a misdirection. He probably believed that he's better because he's a mixed and he's not a pagan. And
0: Of course, yeah.
1: he believed that.
0: Now, on page 27, he mentions that Christianity, now this should be an, an insult to Christians, was made ethical by the Jews. <laughs> that he, he says in this whole chapter that basically Europeans had no ethics until yeah. Jewish Christianity came and gave us ethics.
1: Unbelievable. That
0: all, he says his quote, almost the whole of European ethics is rooted in Judaism. Yeah. I mean well, that wow, that is completely arrogant and ignorant and a slap in the face to to all our ancestors, right? The builders of civilization. As though we had no ethics and we were just these horrible people and nothing good happened until uh, you know, this Jewish Christianity came along to Europe. That's yeah. just outrageous.
1: Yeah. He's not talking about Aristotle's ethics, just Jewish and Chinese ethics. He talks about, uh, a lot about Chinese ethics and he wrote that the Jews and Chinese have higher morals and ethics than all the rest of us and <laughs> to be clear he offers no proof so this is an appeal to ignorance again asserting that something is true because he says it Yeah. and, and I would say I would say people.
0: I would say we're probably the most ethical at this point uh, <laughs> uh, too much actually we're turning the cheek too much so that influence <laughs> has worked right now, po- let's get into politically. I think you answered this question, but because to me, it's kind of all over the place. He's a socialist. He's a communist. He's a semi-capitalist. He kind of is a believer in democracy. He's a little bit of all, in in my view, which makes sense later in the book. But uh, what do you what do you say he was politically?
1: I see him as a socialist. He talks a lot about socialists and uh, giving everybody the spreading uh, all the wealth around. And he actually claims that people would work even if they didn't have to. So he's for free, (laughs) free everything, and they would go to work.
0: You had said earlier where he had a whole passage earlier about basically like um, this new aristocracy should be hoarding all the wealth and controlling all the wealth, right? I saw on page 24, he didn't like the idea exactly of just anybody being able to earn wealth though for being a socialist he said the current economic boom like more capitalist boom makes it easier for unscrupulous uninhibited and irresponsible people to earn money and it makes me think of the elites today right they they just work within a cabal only certain boys can become billionaires if they're in the club right not anybody can just go and become super rich today
1: I think Kalergi wanted to have um, social Marxist socialism in the end. After democracy, democracy is just a middle stage; is the transition between the unequal monarchy and the enlightened socialist utopia. And he even promotes the forced labor this has to happen in order to have the utopia everybody needs to have forced labor and after the forced labor if people have all the wealth is distributed equally to everybody people will still go to work even they don't have to because that's the nature of the european it's like the european is very restless he doesn't want to stay at home he will still go to work even if he doesn't have to work even if everything is given to him after the wealth distribution after they seize all the, all the wealth from the, from the top, from the rich um, elites, and they give it to everybody, but people will still go to work. And I think that's definitely not provable. That's just, um, he just <laughs> says, it and we're supposed to believe it.
0: It's always, too, this idea of a socialist utopia. Now, I spent some time in uh, Sweden and know that living in a socialist system is no utopia. And people think of it as everyone is going to be sharing equally. Everyone's going to be taken care of. All the wealth is distributed. But it's never that way, just like in a communist system, right? You always have the rich people at the top. Still, the leaders are still going to be having the caviar and the finest champagne and the private jets, right? While, while you will own nothing and be happy like they're trying to push, they certainly will own everything and be way happy. Happier than you. But I just want to share a couple quotes wh- how I think that um, he, Kalergi was just all over the place. And I think there's a reason because it's about merging all these different systems together. He says, Uh, He approved of Lenin and Trotsky, saying that they would bring together the rural and the urban, the pagan and the Christian, and create a revolutionary aristocrat. He called this a new human liberation. So I guess communist murder is some kind of liberation. He said the state was unbearable. It was an unbearable necessity, but that anarchy is not possible in a densely populated society, which does not have high ethical standards. So I'd agree with that. He said socialism, which began abolishing nobility and leveling of humanity will peak in the breeding of nobility nobility and differentiation of humanity. So he says socialism, this is the key, it didn't work yet because basically the right people didn't race mix (laughs) so once the right people race mix then we can actually realize a socialism that's not soul crushing it's kind of like the same people that say uh when you point to the bolshevik mass murder like we've tried communism it didn't work oh no 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 we just we have to do it right this time right like it hasn't really been tried maybe if we murder more people then it's going to work this time you know
1: and they're doing it. <laughs> yeah. They're exactly doing it. We live in a kalorgy plan.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They're kind of fusing yeah. all they're fusing all these things. He also said capitalism and communist communism are just as much related to one another as Catholicism and Protestantism. And that capitalism is a necessary evil for now, but communism is too immature, but communism is still better than capitalism. So on page 119, it all kind of comes together because he talks about something called social capitalism. I know this is hard to hear. It makes your brain scramble. Social capitalism and liberal communism. This was the system that he was. So basically merge it all together. Basically, it's the third way what we're seeing today, the kind of the Bill Gates style, you know, billionaires. But he wasn't in favor, he said, of this communist uh, mass starvation, but he's okay with this kind of race-mixing uh, genocide.
1: <laughs> so. Well, I think America has um, social capitalism because when I was ca- when I was campaigning, for Trump, I met a lot of political operatives and we talked about politics. And I always thought we had capitalism in America, but I was educated that we actually have social capitalism yeah. In America.
0: Yeah. yeah. Social capitalism. And it's a liberal communism. I mean, we, we yeah. see that happening now. I mean, yeah. and just look at people like us, the things that we talk about. And we're literally like iced out of the system. <laughs> Payment processors were blacklist are we're, we're banned. You know, they have the secret police that's watching. Right. And, and uh, banning wrong it's thing and punishing you.
1: If it's yeah. all like it's all garbage. So it's good. We'll just we just don't want it. We we don't want them.
0: No, we don't want them. And we're being forced to create our own create our own system, right? Uh, (laughs) And they don't want that. But I want to take one. Let's talk about one more thing before we take a break and go into the next uh, segment. But his ideal system for the future incorporated ethics and technology. Now, let's talk about what he meant by that. And now keep in mind, he died in 70 something, right? So he couldn't. He couldn't have fathomed where technology would be at now, but he he was right about that. This ethics and technology kind of merging, like we're seeing that today, right?
1: Well, ethics—it depends what you mean by ethics. Does um, like I said, he doesn't talk about Aristotle's ethics. Exactly. But and Chinese ethics. You're right. Chinese people skinned uh, human beings alive. They have walls made of human bones. They have. I mean, I mean, I don't, you know, to be clear, I mean, he offers no proof that that Chinese and Jews have better ethics. Um, so but for Calurgi, technology is crucial for humanity, but the ingenuity of the Europeans has to be held in check by the Jews and by the Chinese because they have the highest morals. And he writes that. Technology without ethics must lead to catastrophes. If Europe makes no progress in ethical terms, it has to stumble from one world war to another. And who's going to disagree with him? We can argue about the ethics, but that's anti-Semitic again. But um, they always do that right before the war. I mean, if you talk about the, the sale here of we need, more, we need Jews and Chinese not to have wars with our very great technology. But at the end, he, create, he was part of creating World War II. So don't forget that he's not really doing what he says. He's not really pushing for what he actually says that he's pushing. He's pushing for war, but he's writing that he's preventing war with this with this ideology with this this way
0: Oh, isn't that always typical? The ones that are calling for peace. And we'll get into that in the next segment where he called for we need peace armies. And it's always bombs of peace when they're dropping it, right? (laughs) They're just bombing you to bring you uh, freedom or whatever. And it's like the same idea. And and exactly whose ethics are we talking about? He's talking about the importance of merging ethics and technology. Basically, as a system to uh, control, really, is where it's going at, right? But uh, whose ethics? Because I don't view what he's talking about. That's not my ethics, right? It's not ethics. At all, right? It's just like evil maniacs. But he says, through ethics and technology, one of the things he says, we overcome the state and we overcome labor. And it makes me think of things like the Venus Project, a lot of these transhumanists who basically also talk about the idea of uh, machines doing all the work for us and we could just like kick back in the socialist utopia and our pods, you know, eat the bugs and the machines <laughs> do all the hard work for us. And and, and it had these ideas coming in my mind. And also, Thinking of ethics and technology, like it's almost like he knew where could foresee where things were going technology wise. I mean, he didn't know about the internet yet. I mean, it was still what seventies. Maybe they were working on some stuff, you know, under the radar or something. But like the importance to control the technology, who's controlling the technology? Right, that was very important to him. I thought that was interesting. But I think that we should take a break and then get into the next segment because there's so much we need to talk about of how the clergy plan, all the policies that it has actually influenced today, and also what he actually said about this Euro-Asian blend, why that was so important to him. We also need to talk about why this uh, the K-Plan isn't talked about more, why is it not known in a bi- in a big way, and also... His ideas for the the future of Europe and how we need to be passive. He really called for passivity of Europeans. So uh, maybe you can share some final thoughts with us for this segment before we take a break and go into the next. If you want people to follow your Twitter or anything else you want to share,
1: my Twitter handle is um, Real Dimitra E. So that's E is my last my the, the, my last name. So it's Real Dimitra E. And on Truth, I'm on Truth as well. And that's um, just Dimitra on truth. Got that one. That's great. And yeah, I'll um, see you after the break.
0: Sounds good. Stick with us, everyone. We'll see you on the other side we're going to continue part two with demetra on RedIceMembers.com. not yet a member subscribe now we'll dig into why kalergi specifically called for europeans to race mix with asians but also how kalergi's plan has been implemented into important political policy today and what you can do about it don't miss it a special thanks to executive producers t lothrop stoddard tom bourne v miller and locus slad see you on the other side